Hello and welcome to this week's edition of This Was a Thing. On this special edition, we ask our listeners to please turn on the smell mode on their listening device. Go to your menu, go to the drop-down tab, then click File, Tab, View, and then finally press Smell. This is to be done to enhance the experience of this week's episode, which will explore Smell-O-Vision. That's right, folks. Smell-O-Vision. I'll give you a moment to adjust your settings. Thank you. Here we go. We venture into the weird, savory tale of Smell-O-Vision. This week on This Was a Thing. I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we're smelling about smell-o-vision. Ooh. <sighs> smell-o-vision was a thing because movie producers are always looking for a new gimmick for their picture. And in early 1960, that gimmick was smell. Did they say it just like that, too? No, but I'm just trying to add another type of gimmick to this. I feel mm. like I'm trying to just gimmick this out. Look, I'm a fan of a good movie gimmick. Some can be good, some can be bad. I love a good tie-in, whether it be a TV special, promoting a movie, or even a Happy Meal toy. I'm usually just curious to see what the angle of the gimmick is. Now, one of the biggest gimmicks in film was the advent of 3D, the third dimension. Originally a niche product, it eventually grew to be successful enough where major motion pictures were using the technology. 3D has died over time, but it's been around for decades before people got tired of it. The same can't be said about Smell-O-Vision. It didn't have really any shelf life. It was another gimmick that after its initial release never really saw the light of day again. There are some theme park attractions nowadays where you can smell what's on the screen, sure, but they don't use the patented smell-o-vision technology. Hearing about smell-o-vision for the first time as a kid, I knew it sounded silly. Sure, it's just a silly thing. Just sounds like a goof and a like an, a goof and a gag. Uh, just the name alone is amusing. I I chose this episode because, like I said, I love a gimmick, and I love films, and Smell-O-Vision brought those two worlds together. Now, was it a success? Well, you just have to find out. Smell-O-Vision was a system that released specific odors during the projection of a film so that the viewer could smell what was happening in the movie. It was created by Hans Laup in 1939, and it premiered at that year's World Fair. Now, Smell-O-Vision itself only appeared in one film, 1960's Scent of Mystery. It was produced by Mike Todd Jr., son of film producer Mike Todd Sr. Mike Todd started his professional career by producing an attraction at the 1933-34 Century of Progress Exposition, which was basically a World's Fair celebrating Chicago Centennial. 
Oh boy. He would eventually have a fairly successful career producing shows on Broadway, though most of them were burlesque-type shows that usually featured ladies undressing, although I don't think there was much fire in the preceding shows. After the Great White Way, well, what's happening next? It's time to move to Hollywood. That's right. Heading out west, folks. Give me some Hollywood music, boys. Hooray for oh, Mike Todd. In 1950, Mike Todd helped form Cinerama. The company was created to exploit Cinerama, a widescreen film process that used three film projectors to create a giant composite image on a curved screen. The first Cinerama feature, this is Cinerama was released in September 1952. Now, I'm going to play the opening for you, and if it is safe to do so, folks, I want you to go ahead and just close your eyes and imagine that you're on a terrifyingly built roller coaster in the 1950s, but it's on a giant screen. All right, folks, buckle up or put whatever the uh, safety restraint is for a 1950s roller coaster is. Piece of twine in a dream. Exactly. Go ahead and tie that twine and get ready. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinerama. So it's not as flat. It feels more three-dimensional in some ways. On the screen, it almost, yeah, it looks like there's a curve on the top and the bottom of it to make it seem like you're in, like, it's like a, yeah, a curve. But that's also kind of how your eyes mm -hmm. adjust, because as things go past your periphery, it curves off. Exactly. I see. But this, I mean, it took three projectors to make this. Well, you can, I mean, if you're looking at it, you can see the lines. Exactly. No, exactly. You can see the lines and everything, so, but... I mean, I think this is essentially like kind of like how IMAX got started through yes. like a Cinerama type yes. idea. Only specific theaters could play the film, but it was extremely popular in the ones that did. After one year, the film had played in four cities, New York, Los Angeles, Detroit, and Chicago, the epicenters of America. The Kielbasa Center of the World. It sold over 2 million tickets and grossed $4.3 million. In just four cities? Yeah. Wow. $2 tickets. I'd love to have that. The thing about Mike Todd is that he left Cinerama before This Is Cinerama was even released, unfortunately. He left to develop a widescreen process that would eliminate some of Cinerama's flaws. Mike Todd was always looking for new ways to make the cinema experience better for the people who went to go view it. Mike Todd soon produced the film for which he's best remembered, Michael Todd's Around the World in 80 Days, which debuted in cinemas on October 17, 1956, costing $6 million to produce which is equivalent to about $56.4 million today. The movie earned $16 million at the box office, and in 1957, Around the World in 80 Days won the Best Picture Academy Award. Hurrah! Now, here's part of the original trailer. Gentlemen, I have on deposit at Baring's Bank the sum of £20,000, and I'm willing to wager any or all of it upon the same contention, namely that I can complete a tour of the world in 80 days. Michael Todd's Around the World in 80 Days. Sadly, on May 22, 1958, Todd's private plane, the Liz, crashed near Grants, New Mexico. The plane suffered engine failure while being flown overloaded in icy conditions at an altitude that was too high for only one engine working under the heavy load. The plane went out of control and killed all four on board, including Todd and the pilot and a author named Art Cohn. Todd was on his way to New York to accept the New York Friars Club Showman of the Year Award, which, man, what an award. 
Todd is buried at Forest Park, Illinois, at Beth Aron Cemetery. Now, I mentioned Mike Todd Jr. a couple moments ago. Now, Mike Todd Jr. worked alongside his father in the film industry. He worked at Cinerama as vice president and was responsible for filming the famous scene in This is Cinerama. That scene was the roller coaster scene, folks. Oh, yeah, this guy had some experience in movie making. Now, before Todd Sr.'s death, the Mikes were discussing ways to enhance their film, Mike Todd Seniors around the world in 80 days when Todd Sr. remembered something he had seen 15 years earlier at the 1939 World's Fair by a fellow named Hans Laub. Laub's technique was initially dubbed Centavision. The system connected pipes to individual seats in theaters so that the timing and amount could be carefully controlled by the projectionist using a control board. The New York Times reported in 1943 that Centavision is said to have produced odors as quickly and easily as the soundtrack of a film produces sound. So each of the seats had a pipe? That was the plan, is it would have like a little system to deliver just the quick scent and stuff. So pumping scents into theaters was not necessarily a new concept. In 1868, a novel effect was used at the Alhambra Theater of Variety in London when Rimmel scent was sprayed into the theater during the magic dance of the fairy acorn tree. Rimmel is a cosmetic brand, so I'm guessing that it would had to have been a new fragrance yeah. that they were pumping out, but... Nothing goes with a fairy like some fragrance. The use of the sense alongside film dates back to 1906, which is before the introduction of sound, actually. So that's kind of interesting. Wow. In 1916, the Rivoli Theater in New York was equipped with the ability to pump sense into the theater for the short film Story of the Flowers. During the screening of the film Lilac Time in 1929 at the Fenway Theater in Boston, the manager poured a pint of lilac perfume into the theater's ventilation system so that the audience would smell lilac when the film's title appeared. When it said Lilac Time, it was in fact Lilac Time. Really? Yeah. The same year, 1929, during the showing of The Broadway Melody, a New York City theater sprayed perfume from the ceiling. Arthur Mayer installed an in-theater smell system at the Rialto Theater on Broadway in 1933. Now, Mayer used this system to deliver odors during a film. However, it would take over an hour to clear the scents from the theater, and some smells would linger for days afterwards. So I can only imagine when, like, oh my god, it's on the fritz! And it's just spraying out... Oh, like lavender scent just soaking the ca- the carpet. I just picture like it's like World War clips, and they're like the brutality in Europe is atrocious. And you like it's just like all this lilac coming through. Now, all these early attempts, however, were made by theater owners and not part of the films themselves. So the audience could be distracted by the scents instead of focusing on what the film director intended. For you to pay attention to in the film. Now, on top of that, because the theaters were so big, they had to release so much perfume to get to all the audience members that it just that caused major issues. The human nose has a difficult time transitioning between smells until the molecules that triggered one smell are completely cleared from the nose. And with that volume of perfume, the scents would mix, becoming muddled. I mean, how many times have you like made something? And then the, a day later, that smell is still in your kitchen. Well, you'd have to assume that I make something. But yes, I understand what you're saying. I've had a roommate before that made food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. 
Walt Disney was the first filmmaker to explore the idea of actually including sense with the 1940 film Fantasia, but he decided to go against that because, well, it cost too much money. Further attempts to mix smells with films came from the Vogue Theater in Detroit, Michigan in 1940 with Boomtown and the Seahawk. Boomtown was a Clark Gable film about oil drilling, and the Seahawk was an Errol Flynn swashbuckler film. I can only imagine the sense that they used. Well, you know what, Rob? I pulled up a clip from the Seahawk really quick. And tell me what kind of sense you could imagine that would be going on during this. Unfurling the glorious saga of the boldest buccaneer the world has ever known, Warner Brothers bring you the... Oh, God. This is some old movie. None of these guys are wearing shirts. They're all on a ship. Everyone looks sweaty and gross. It's musk. It's going to smell like shit and sweat and the sea yeah this is like some perverse idea of like a yankee candle (laughs) exactly i can only imagine what the oil drilling one smelt like you ever go to a gas station you get a fucking headache people are vomiting all over now let's get back to the man who invented it hans laub raymond every time you come to me you give me a name and i'm like i think you make these names up is this man's real name hans laub Laub, i just thank you i just get to the assignment sir thank you in 1955 laub had financing from the Stanley Warner Corporation, and they set up a working model of his system at the Cinerama Warner Theater in New York to show a 10-minute pilot film. In November 1957, the system owned by Laup and Bert S. Good was patented in the United States, so they got a patent, so that's nice. Mike Todd Jr. remembered his father's interest in Laup's invention and was intrigued by it himself, so Mike Todd Jr. signed Laup to a movie deal. Laub's system, which was renamed Smellivision by Todd Jr., had been improved in the intervening time. Now, instead of the sense being manually released, it used what he called a smell brain, which was a series of perfume containers linked in a belt, arranged in the order that they would be released. As the film threaded through the movie projector, markers on it would cue the brain. Needles would pierce membranes on the container, releasing the sense, which would then be blown by fans through the pipes to individual vents underneath the audience member's seat. Sounds like a pure nightmare. That is so complicated. What is it, Rube Goldberg? Oh, yeah, it's like a Rube Goldberg. And I feel like, I mean, I'm guessing once you poke a membrane, you can't reuse that membrane. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work for just a gimmick. But hey, we don't know yet. The cost of outfitting a theater to accommodate the system was anywhere from $15,000 at Chicago Cinestates Theater to a million dollars elsewhere. So that's around $129,000 to $8.6 million today to outfit a whole theater to do that. Whoa, whoa. Cher is impressed. Laub and Todd Jr. understood that the system had its aesthetic limitations. So, for example, a, a really heavy, meaty drama that's really, you know, tearjerker was not the sort of film to uh, use the system well, let's be honest. So the system was to be deployed with a mystery comedy called Scent of Mystery, which would be the first film in which smells revealed certain plot points to the audience. Here's a uh, quick clip from the trailer of Scent of Mystery. I have reason to believe that someone may be trying to kill you. You're trying to sell me some insurance, Miss Jordan, I'm serious. I have a friend who may very well need protection, too. Now, if you could dig up somebody cute for her, why, four of us could have a ball. Is that the one? Is her life in danger? Constantly, I'm sure. Miss Kennedy, I have reason to believe that your life may be in danger. My life in danger? If you're in need of protection, I should be most happy to provide it for you, personally. 
Now, the film is about a mystery novelist who discovers a plan to murder an American heiress while on vacation in Spain. Oh, that sounds good. He enlists the help of a taxi driver to travel across the Spanish countryside in order to thwart the crime. Oh, that actually sounds like a good plot. The novelist was played by Denham Elliott, who's best known for playing Marcus in the Indiana Jones films. He looks so young in the trailer. The American heiress was played by Mike Todd Sr.'s widow, Elizabeth Taylor, and the taxi driver was played by the lovable Peter Laurie. The film was directed by a leading cinematographer, Jack Cardiff, who later said using smells in a film was also an ambition I had had for years, which is quite the ambition as a filmmaker. Some scenes were designed to specifically highlight the smell of vision capability, so that makes sense. In one, uh, wine casks fall off of a wagon and roll down a hill, smashing against a wall, at which point a grape scent was released. Other scenes were accompanied by aromas that revealed key points to the audience. For example, the assassin was identified by the smell of a smoking pipe. Didn't they smoke at movie theaters back then? So nobody knew who the fucking murderer was. It's my husband, Morty. He's smoking a pipe. Ah! <laughs> There's brandy, fresh seawater, peaches, bananas, wood shavings, and perfume, which was used to identify the girl whose life was in danger. So... I'm sure no one wore perfume. To, do you think they like sent out a thing like, please no smoking inside, you can't wear perfume, uh, we're not allowing you to bring any roses in, coffee will not be served at the concession stands, please wear old shoes that have not been cleaned recently. Please, no peaches. Yes, no peaches, please. This has nothing to do with smell vision We just can't have any more peaches in the theater. We just keep finding them all underneath the seats, and it's just, it's all rinds. It's just, <laughs> just rinds and the seeds all over the place. This movie did not do well in Georgia. Hey, friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay, head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, Click go to show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to patreon.com and send us some money and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. In October 1959, the China Wall, which was an Italian-made travelogue through China, was shown at the Palace Theater in New York City. The system to be used for the film was different than Smell-O-Vision because the scents were sent through an air conditioning system instead of just having the on a belt. The particular technique was invented by Charles Weiss, who in 1959 appeared on CBS's popular television program to tell the truth. Here's a clip from that appearance. I, Chuck Weiss, a former public relations man, have invented a process to make movies smell. I call the process Aromarama. After more than two and a half years of work, our picture Behind the Great Wall will open December 2nd at the Mayfair Theater in New York. 
In addition to seeing the action and hearing the dialogue, our audiences will be able to smell the scenes. More than 100 different aromas will be injected into the theater during the film. Among these are the odors of grass, earth, exploding firecrackers, a river, incense, burning torches, horses, restaurants, the scent of a trapped tiger, and many more. We believe with Rudyard Kipling that smells are surer than sounds or sights to make the heartstrings crack. Signed, Chuck White. How is this different? The difference is, is that this system is the it goes through the air conditioning vents where, you know, you could probably do it at any theater. Oh. Smell-O-Vision was through a specific system on a belt system. So it was all like on a mechanical thing where this, I think, was just more like... Like a by a vent. Exactly. Got it. So this film, Behind the Great Wall, opened December 9th, 1959 at the DeMille Theater in New York. And it was just a month ahead of Scent of Mystery. And the competition between the two films was called The Battle of the Smellies by variety. Now, the film Behind the Great Wall was directed by Carlos Lazzani, but with the Aromarama process conceived and directed by Charles Weiss. The film was accompanied by a range of 72 smells that included incense, smoke, burning pitch, oranges, spices, and a barnyard of geese. So... I imagine that, like, during that, they just release a bunch of geese into the air conditioning vent. So a great wall. They're saying we're going to give you incense, oranges. Okay. So what it is, I feel like he just bought the rights to the great wall and decided to go, hey, let me just add these scents because I came up with a new system for it. They weren't created together necessarily, you know, because... But Scent of Mystery was. Sense of Mystery was, yeah. Unfortunately, the film received a scathing review from the New York Times reviewer Bosley Crowther, who called it a stunt that had an artistic benefit of nil. That's Great Wall. Yeah, this is this is Great Wall. We'll get into the sin of mystery in a moment. The accuracy of the odors was described as capricious, elusive, oppressive, or perfunctory and banal. Merely synthetic smells that occasionally befit what one is viewing, but more often they confuse the atmosphere. By contrast, the film itself, The Great Wall, which was not made with Roman in mind, like I said, received high praise. So the travelogue film was enjoyed, but the whole process of the Aromarama was not enjoyed, especially by Bosley Crowther. Now, Scent of Mystery and Smell-O-Vision opened at the Cinesage Theater in Chicago on January 6th, 1960. Like I said, less than a month after Behind the Great Wall. So it's two films, same gimmick, two different types of ways of delivering it. Costs of the Smell-O-Vision system were very high. It actually took an estimated $25 to $30 per seat to install and use Smell-O-Vision at the time when movie tickets cost less than a dollar. So each seat, it cost $25 to $30. So you had to sell $25 to $30 tickets to make up per seat. Ads for the film proclaimed, first they moved 1895, then they talked 1927, now they smell. You know, I'm going to say something and you're going to think I'm crazy. The word smell, to me, feels like a pejorative word. Ooh, that smells. Yeah. When I think of smell, I think of something that you don't want to have around you. But scent, I think, is a more romantic word. But I feel like at the time, smell was like such an in-your-face, and that was the best way they could get stuff. I don't know. The word just doesn't do it for me. I mean, I've never seen a movie in Smell-O-Vision, so I kind of have a feeling it didn't do it for anybody else either. It's true. Mike Todd Jr. got help from newspaper columnists such as Earl Wilson, who praised the system, claiming that Smell-O-Vision can produce anything from skunk to perfume and remove it instantly. The New York Times' Richard Nason believed that it was a major advance in filmmaking, with all the positive press, expectations for the film were very 
very high. Unfortunately, Smell-O-Vision went over about as well as Aroma-Rama. They should have called it scent. The one thing. The Smell-O-Vision mechanism didn't work well. According to High Hollinger of Variety, aromas were released with a distracting hissing noise, and audience members in the balcony complained that the scents reached them several <laughs> seconds after the action was shown on the screen. <laughs> In other attempts of the theater, the odors were too faint, causing the audience members to sniff loudly in an attempt to catch the scents. So. <laughs> I'm sure this would have been great during COVID times. Oh my god, yeah. The film's director, Jack Cardiff, the one who always wanted to work with scent, recalled that the Chicago screening worked well. He said, exactly on cue, you'd get the whiff of the smell coming up from the seat in front of you, so you'd smell it. Adding that the press and everybody, they all said the same thing. There is no particular smell about anything. It was all kind of a cheap eau de cologne. This was a disaster. That's the film's director. Mike Todd Jr. later said that his press agent, Bill Dahl, had an idea that would have saved the damn thing if we thought of it before the film opened, and that was to reverse the pump. It sucked air back so that when there was no overhang from the previous smell. So, you know... Too little, too late, unfortunately. Aside from Smell-O-Vision not working as planned, the film wasn't well-received. Our friend Bosley Crowther... This queen's back. ...of the New York Times said, As theatrical exhibition, it is gaudy, sprawling, and full of sound, but as an attempt at the considerable motion picture, it has to be classified as bunk. Whatever novel stimulation that might afford with the projection of the smells appears to be dubious and dependent upon the noses of the individual viewers and the smells projector whims. Indistinct is the right word for the whole silly plot of the film and the casual, confused performance of it, which is virtually amateur, except for the job of Peter Lorre. Is there anything that Bosley Crowther has ever enjoyed? In his time as a critic. Popcorn. I bet you he wore bow ties. Oh, I, I pick. Oh, absolutely. I'm fucking picturing with bow ties a thousand percent. The film was retitled Holiday in Spain and re-released, but without the odors by Cinerama, which needed new product for its specially equipped theaters because it was filmed in Cinerama so they could project it on the three screens. The film was converted into the three strip prints that could be exhibited on the very wide, deeply curved screens in the special theaters. However, after being converted from Smell-O-Vision, as the Daily Telegraph described it, the film acquired a baffling, almost surreal quality since there was no reason why, for example, a loaf of bread should be lifted from the oven and thrust into the camera for what seemed to be an unconsciously long time. In homage to Smell-O-Vision, American film director John Waters released an enhanced odorama version of his film Polyester, in 1982. Waters included scratch and sniff cards that the audience could use while watching the movie. So each card contained 10 numbered spots that were scratched when the number flashed in the bottom right of the screen. Although this approach solved the problems inherent with the previous attempts at the technology of smell mixed with screen, it did not gain widespread usage from other films, unfortunately. What were some of the odors that was on, were on John Waters' cards? The sense that they employed included roses, flatulence, also known as natural ass, model airplane glue, pizza, gasoline, skunk, natural gas, new car smell, which is everyone's favorite, dirty shoes, and air freshener. Classic <laughs> fucking John Waters. John Waters scent. Oh, I love him. So the idea of a aroma card was actually duplicated. It's been duplicated four times. 
In the United Kingdom, in June 1985, there was an episode of the science program, The Real World, not the reality show, and the Saturday morning children's program, Number 73. They were both aired in Aroma Vision, with accompanying Aroma Pack scratch and sniff cards that were distributed through their TV Times, which is like TV Guide. In the mid-1980s, MTV aired Scent of Mystery, and in conjunction with airing, they would release scratch cards that came out through convenience stores, so you can get all the smells like the grape cask and the loaf of bread all through a card. In 2003, the animated film Rugrats Go Wild had send cards, and that was said to be done as an homage to John Waters' Polyester, which was an homage to Scent of Mystery. A lot of homages here. And of course, the fourth installment of the Spy Kids movie franchise, which had scratch and sniff cards that were given to the moviegoers. That's fun. I know. I can only imagine what Ricardo Montalban's jacket smelled like. It smells like... Cordova. Now, of course, like I said earlier, Walt Disney World and the Disneyland Resort and all Disney parks technically currently make use of the idea of smell-o-vision in their 3D films and a lot of their other attractions. Of course, there's Disney Animal Kingdoms. It's tough to be a bug, and that releases an unpleasant odor coinciding with a stink bug on screen, causing an audience reaction. Mickey's Fill Our Magic at the Magic Kingdom in California Adventure produces pie scents, and of course, Soarin' Over California, Soarin' and Soarin' Over the World include orange blossoms, pine forests, sea air fragrances, grass, cherry blossoms, and every time it moves to a new scenery, it changes the smell. I, one of my favorite rides. Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue briefly takes riders through a ginger-scented sushi house. I know, right? It's unknown, however, if the technology behind it is the same as smell-o-vision, but it's still kind of the idea, and I feel like this is the closest to what Lau intended, where they could take a specific theater or ride attraction and fit it to have the sense released, and you don't have to go into a new theater that's going to change movies and stuff. Now, when we get back from the break, we'll discuss whether or not a film could do something like this today, and we'll also discuss whether or not Rob can tell the difference in the seven cents that I just released into the room. Right when we get back. I smell carbon monoxide. Mm. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Welcome back to Modern Film of Today's Time here on TCM. I'm Robert Osborne. I'm here with Jack Cardiff, the director of Scent of Mystery. Now tell me, how do smell and cinema coexist? I'll tell you how. You see, sometimes when I see something on the big screen or on the telly, I think to myself, I wonder what that smells like. That's just fascinating. So this is something that you've experimented with before. Thought of, at least. You see, working with smells is something I've always wanted to do. When I was cinematographer on The African Queen in 1951, I was lining up a shot and Catherine Hepburn was just so sweaty. Uh, I'd never seen a person sweat so much in my life. I remember thinking to myself, what if there was a way for the audience to sweat? smell this woman to get a whiff of what the African jungle has done to this woman's body. I remember hearing that she got dysentery during the production. Dysentery, malaria, Spanish flu, all have had it all during this shoot, but still put on a hell of a show. I just remember thinking, if I have to smell the god-awful sense that this woman is omitting, then so should everyone else. And you feel like you were able to do that with this film, Scent of Mystery. Well, with that 
that film, the smell would have been some kind of a mixture between human waste, sand, and smoke. You see, scent of mystery is a different type of picture. And the scents are much more fun. Do you like the smell of bread? Oh, I love the smell of bread. Well, get ready to smell it on the big screen. Well, this is just so exciting. Well, I can tell you this. I, for one, can smell a hit. So coming up next is Scent of Mystery, and immediately following that, Al Jolson in The Appropriation Follies of 1920. Thank you. This was a sketch. Unfortunately, I don't think the actual technology of smell-o-vision worked the way people behind it intended it to. I think wanting to get a product out quickly instead of tinkering with it and testing it with audience was the ultimate downfall. And I didn't read of any test audiences that got to experience Smell-O-Vision before it actually premiered. I couldn't even imagine nowadays releasing a new kind of technology that, that was paired with a film that wasn't tested by an audience. I just, it wouldn't happen if there was anything like this. You know, it's a bonus. It's like, it's like a cute little thing, but I mean, like, it's so intricate. It's just so intricate. And it's just too, it's like one of those things that if you outfit a theater with it, then you're going to have to keep having new movies that have it. Or Not every just movie waste... depends on it. No, and it's almost a waste of money for a theater to change. But that's why I really think it works so well for Disney, because it's going to be the same movie five times a day. No, no, no. That's perfect. I mean, that's that's exactly what that should exactly. be. And that's going to be there for, you know, 10, 15 years. And maybe they'll stick another movie in, but they'll still have that. That's, yeah. That system. Because they didn't raise the ticket prices to accommodate for the fact that they've just had to spend all this money on it. Yeah, I just saw it was a dollar. I'm sure they, they, I'm sure they probably started raising it, but I, that was just based on the average ticket price was a dollar. And it sounds like you could see Scent of Mystery and still have an enjoyable quote-unquote experience without having the smells. It's not essential. Yeah, it's just odd when all of a sudden a big loaf of bread comes towards you and you have no idea without smelling it that it just doesn't really have a place in it. I have no problem when a big loaf of bread comes at me. That's true. Actually, waiter, we are currently doing our show from a... Uh, Denny's? Denny's, yeah. I don't think a film could be released today that featured the technology, like a big budget film, unless they figured out a system that could be brought into theaters and then taken out just as easily. If there was like a wheeled in type of thing. I think today when everyone has like so many activities and yeah, allergies. That's tr- exactly. You know, I, th- I think this was, this, this was a very clear product of its time. Yeah. Someone would complain about it. It's going to be complained about. People aren't going to like it. It's going to be too distracting. And also like at a Disney attraction, those are about a 15, 20 minute thing and then you're out of there you don't have to put too much attention into it that's why i do love the disney parks because you know i've smelt the technology in person and and it's tough to be a bug when the stink bug farts an unpleasant smell comes out and it's dumb but it really just adds to the enjoyment you know in soaring over california one of my favorite rides of all time you have this contraption and it kind of just simulates the feeling of gliding through different beautiful settings and when you go through a forest you smell the pine trees when you soared over the orange field of camarillo you smelled the oranges it just it just makes me happy to think about it it's just a nice ride and it's it's just a subtle addition to something like that 
it works best with attractions that I'm going to say it, gosh darn it, when it's brought out in small doses. I couldn't imagine going to see a feature length film, like I said, nowadays and have this used. It wouldn't work. It would be weird. People would find it unpleasant for an hour and a half. And the way that people complain these days, I just don't imagine that Karen's would enjoy Smell-O-Vision. What do you think uh, Karen's smell like, right? Oh, uh, I'd say uh, Virginia Slims, Lululemon, and, you know. Chardonnay. Chardonnay, coconut oil. <laughs> Keep those hands. Oh, yeah. You got to keep those hands clean so when you're wagging your finger at someone, they look as good as possible. It keeps it faster in motion if it's greased up a little bit. You want to play a game? Hell yeah. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Smell-O-Vision. You guys smell that? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that wasn't a feature film at all. (laughs) (laughs) Smell-O-Vision's pretty wacky. I remember when I first heard about it, it was pretty crazy. But like all things, you wonder, what if it was around today? Oh. And what smells would movies that we all know use Mm. to really improve that cinematic experience? So I have thought of, uh, let's see, I got five movies here that I'm going to give you three aromas. If you were to go see these movies in the Smell-O-Vision 2021, I'm going to give you three aromas, three scents. That are from this movie. Okay. And you're going to tell me what this movie is based on the three aromas they're going to pump in. Okay? Okay. So you're watching this first movie, and all of a sudden you start to smell apples, hand lotion, and teenage hormones. Oh, uh, American Pie. American Pie is correct. Oh, American Pie. American Pie. Second one, chocolate, seafood, freshly mowed grass. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. The book or the movie? The sequel book. (laughs) Gump and Company. Where he goes to the moon. It's a good book. (laughs) Gunpowder, lotion, and Chianti. Oh, Sounds the Lamps. Okay. Chianti was a little easy, huh? These last two are really hard, so see what you guys can do. Sweat, eggs, raw meat. Rocky. Oh, come on. Oh, I was going to say Beauty and the Beast Gaston. Oh. (laughs) Nobody eats raw meat. Four dozen eggs. Yeah, Nobody sweats like Gaston. And finally... Fresh paint, salt water, caviar. Oh, it's, a J- it's one of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. Fresh paint. Fresh paint. Salt, salt water. water. Caviar. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking Karnak routine. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Salt water, uh, fresh paint, and caviar. Free Willy. Ooh. No. Do you have a guess? Life as a house. Titanic. Titanic. Oh. oh, yeah. It's been 87 years and I can still smell the fresh paint. <laughs> the beds had never been slept in. And by fresh paint, I mean his ball sack. Yeah, that's the scene they cut out. Now, in this scene, Jack is going to teabag Rose when she's sleeping. And she's going to be in 3D. I'm Jim Cameron. <laughs> what do you mean four hours too long? Uh, we got to make some cuts. Ah, <laughs> uh, damn it. <laughs> well, what if we cut with the part where the ship sinks? Everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. No, Jim. That's a given. I'll put up a title card. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a scroll. They'll understand. Solving the scroll. <laughs> How'd we do? You nailed it. You got five out of five. No, we didn't know Titanic. That's true. You didn't get a... Uh, you no, didn't four get out Titanic. Five. Okay. You know what? I assumed you were going to get it. You got four or five. Titanic. Now you got a hundred. Now you no, got five man. out of five. The game's over. Game is over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell us some of your favorite smells <laughs> <laughs> by reaching out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram 
And uh, let us know what you like to smell, what you don't like to smell. Is aromatherapy a hoax? Call us at 1-900. This was a thing. What would you say for your least favorite smell? My least favorite smell? Mm -hmm. My breath in a mask. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Moldy newspapers. I don't like the smell of moldy newspapers. Mm, Moldy newspapers, rough. Uh, Like new when they repave a street and like the tar or whatever. That's not very fun. What about you, Ray? I will say like a trash can on a hot day, like when you have to go throw your trash out and you open up the lid. That's like the worst. Sometimes that could be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And it could be an empty trash can. Don't, I know you're going to be like, what are you throwing away, Ray? What are you throwing away, Ray? It's an empty can. I just need to hose it out. Ray has 400 boxes of fleet enemas. And we're we're still a little confused. Um, If you can help Ray control his bowels, or if you remember seeing a -a (laughs) smell-o-vision, hit us up on social media. We look forward to hearing from you. Take care and happy smelling. Adios. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 